Welcome! You found the Out of the Ordinary podcast, where we believe that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. I'm Christy Purifoy. And I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And a few of my favorite ordinary fall things are snuggly sweaters, crisp, cool evenings, and digging all my boots back out of the closet again. And a few of mine are apples from the local orchard, the cashmere sweater I found at a thrift store, and the first fire in our wood stove. We hope these conversations help you see the extra hidden right in plain sight in your ordinary life, too. Get comfy. Here we go. After last week's episode called Homesick for the Holidays, Christy, We got some feedback, some comments. They were kind and thoughtful because we often think of our listeners as the third chair here at the table next to us, (laughs) part of the conversation. But we got a comment from uh, someone on Instagram. She sent me a direct message. And, you know, as the kids say, Christy, her comment got me right in my feels. Is that that how they say say that? (laughs) Am I using the right jargon there? I have no idea. I'm hopelessly uncool. (laughs) (laughs) We'll ask our teenagers afterwards, but it got me right in the feels because it's about home. It's from Abby. And what I like about this is Abby must know that you and I are a sucker for a new interpretation of a word. We love language. We love the meanings of words. We like to dig into the old English. I like to pull from what, you know, my South African background and roots might give me. I know, Christy, you've studied Um, when you think back to the origins of words in your English degree. So Abby just sent this beautiful take on the word homesickness, and it comes from Portuguese, which is a background I have, I know not of. So she says, listening to the podcast about homesickness, there's a great Portuguese word. And I'm I'm sure I'm going to butcher the word, but here it is. Sauda, oh man, saudade, saudada, saudade. S-A-U-D-A-D-E, Saudade, is a deep emotional state of nostalgic or profound melancholic longing for an absent something or someone that one cares for and or loves. Moreover, it often carries a repressed knowledge that the object of longing might never be had again. And Abby says, as a missionary kid, that word means so much to me. And thank you for pointing us to our true home. Hmm. Man, talk about a word that's action-packed to the brim. Mm -hmm. A deep emotional state of nostalgic or profound melancholic longing for an absent something or someone that you might never see again. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's a lot right there. I'm laughing. I'm laughing, but I might cry. No, that (laughs) word, right? That holds a lot. And we needed that word, I think, last week as we were having that conversation, as we were telling our stories and trying to grapple with that sense of longing and longing for home. But we were telling stories of homes that aren't really ours any longer. And yeah, I love that message. I'm so glad you got that. And then I think we both realized that there's so much more to say about this, not least of all because... Uh, our listeners know that we've talked about paper and string before. So paper and string is this digital care package that you and I help create with a team of others. Um, it's a care package from the Black Barn here at Maplehurst, we call it. And um, each issue has a special feature essay each month. 
And this month, the month of November, some of our listeners would know because they've already been savoring their paper and string care package. They know that this month's um, feature essay was written by a wonderful writer, Debbie Abraham, and she lives in Australia. And she wrote about home. She wrote about expat life and being a missionary kid and living in so many different places. And she really, I think, was doing sort of asking some of the questions we were asking last week, like, what is home? And (laughs) what is this longing I feel for places and for people, you know, that like, is that still my home? And one thing that she does in this essay is she asks this interesting question, what does home smell like? What does home smell like? Um, And I've never thought to ask that before. But of course, in her essay, it's beautiful because um, she's not... Uh, This is not uh, a humorous essay like we might write with our teenage children where home often smells like (laughs) stinky tennis shoes or something. (laughs) Um, I'm just a little laugh here. I'm going to say that in my home, there there are often heated, heated family discussions about whether that was the dog who passed the gas (laughs) or not. And we don't even have a dog and we have similar (laughs) conversations. Okay, so I know exactly what you mean. Oh, but Debbie's essay was full of really good smells, um, especially associated with Thanksgivings and the foods, the pumpkin smells and the cin. Oh, she writes about cinnamon rolls. Lisa Joe, she writes about um, like the Pillsbury tube cinnamon rolls, I think. And yeah, and I could, you know, I could smell that straight from my childhood. But I thought, you know, this is something, Lisa Joe, that you and I haven't talked about before. Um, Smells. We talk about all these aspects of ordinary life, but I don't think we've talked about smells. So also, um, I think, so you mentioned the beginning that you you got this direct message from a listener and it really gave us so much more to think about. But every month, paper and string, um, you know, we write for that, others write for it. We share all kinds of goodness there. And it really is meant to be a conversation starter. So I think this will become a regular thing where after Paper and String comes out each month, we, you know, we always read it and enjoy it. And then something in that will prompt a conversation. So our listeners can look forward to Paper and String prompted conversations every month. And I hope that is just one more way for people to sort of pull up a seat at this table and um, participate in these conversations with us. Okay, Lisa Joe, what does home smell like to you? <laughs> well, it's funny because there's so many different smells that I'm thinking about, but one of them that occurs to me as you talk about paper and string is the fact that my nine-year-old recently came home and has now learning for choir, the sound of music. These are a few of my favorite things. So I heard her singing about paper and string in the car. And a lot of the things in that song have got a flavor too, like a smell to them. Like even when I think about paper and string, I can hear the crackly uh, paper crunching up like a, I always picture a brown paper and it's got that unique smell it like really does like a post office and tape and all those kinds of things so it takes me home when I think about paper and string and when I think about South Africa so when I that's a good question too because like what is the first smell that pops into your head for home and for me it's definitely a South African smell and I think it's because you know it's imprinted on you so early in your childhood and I'm not sure why this is the first smell that comes to mind, because as you know, smells are seasonal too, right? There are different times of year where certain things will be more powerful. So winter in South Africa is a very short non-season almost. We joke and say winter was on a Thursday this year <laughs> as we head into winter here in the Northeast. But 
winter in South Africa has this very distinct smell of, of burning and not like a wood fire burning, but like the grasslands being on fire. So in South Africa, we talk about the felt, which is spelled V-E-L-D. And the V is pronounced like an F, the felt. And it's the grasslands that you would see, sort of the prairies, right, on either side of a highway even. And typically in the winter season, those are burned on purpose, down, back down to stubble, and it, for many different conservation reasons I won't go into. But that, the smell of burning at dusk in South Africa, that is a smell that is so powerful to me. And it's a combination of the fire itself, but also the dust that kind of gets up into the air then as things are burning down because everything is very dry then and dusty. And I can just picture driving down roads where on either side, the land is on fire. It's so crazy. And sometimes what will happen is the fire will have been set on one side of the road and it will jump across the road. Like I remember as a child watching it happen, like sparks blowing across and catching the other side on fire. So that smell of fire that always was a little bit scary as a child because you're wondering like, is this under control? What's happening? We're driving through here. Sometimes it does get out of control. But the strange knife's edge of that memory is that that smell of death, of dying, of burning is a like always a direct arrow to life. Like this is on purpose to bring something new about. So it wasn't an end in and of itself. It always was pointing to something else. So it felt a little bit scary, but maybe in the way that anytime you're starting something new has that edge of fear that comes with it. So strangely enough, that's one of the strongest imprints for me. I have many others, but when I think first off, it's the burning felt in South Africa. Oh, that's so interesting, Lisa Joe, And that's actually a really beautiful image, but it does make me think that I, so when I knew what we, we would be talking about today, I assumed that meant I would be sharing smell memories that were Pleasant and beautiful <laughs> and wonderful, right? <laughs> but I'm, I was really thinking hard as you were sharing, like, not just do I want my smell memory of home to be, but what is it actually? Right. And for me, it actually is the smell of cow manure. <laughs> I was um, wondering. And the reason is that, so I grew up in Texas and I grew up um, in a little college town, but it was still um, at that point, it's grown so much since then, but um, at that point it was still, you know, a little college town on the edge of prairie farmland in Texas. And so I lived on a street, actually Jersey Street, that was named because there were always Jersey cows kept in a field right across from where we lived. And um, now I, I'm quite sure there are no longer any cows there, nor is it any longer called Jersey Street. But um, while I was a child, there were cows there. And um, so cows across the street, but then also, um, so during the week that was home. And then on many weekends, uh, we would drive to my grandmother's farm, the farm where my father grew up and where um, families still took care of cattle. And um, so I just have such vivid <laughs> sensory memories of um, fences and fields and watching out for cow patties, as we called them. And, and I guess this is what I want to say that is so similar to what you're saying about the smell of burning is that it isn't a good smell. It isn't a pleasant smell. And while it doesn't carry that same whiff of danger that fire does. There was this sense of like always being highly motivated not to plop my foot <laughs> right into the middle of a cow patty. But 
it's the smell of home and family and weekends at grandmother's house, um, on grandmother's farm. And so it is also a good smell and a comforting smell. And to this day, those kinds of um, smells of like horse and cow manure don't smell bad to me. They smell comforting. They smell like warm and comforting in a way, (laughs) even while they sort of bother my nose. That is such a strange edge to walk. Um, Yeah, I want to say it's cinnamon rolls and my father's roses, but actually I think it's cow manure. (laughs) (laughs) Which I feel like is perfect because when Christy, when not Christy, when Zoe thinks of your house, Christy, she thinks of mushroom farms. And I know that that bothers you, but she has the same reaction that you have to cow patties. It feels warm and welcoming. It's such an anchor in her memory of a place that she loves. And if you guys listening haven't heard episode 63 yet, you need to go back. It's called Naked Storytelling, Your Childhood Home. And it's the story of me running around our backyard and Christy's two cows, where we do share this sort of story around cow patties and the street where Christy grew up. And it's really worth listening to. But it is funny how primary smells, and I'm guessing there's, you know, some brain scientist would explain to us exactly why the olfactor set the word nerves mm-hmm, yeah. retain those memories in such a powerful way and i'm guessing it's cuz they are such strong odors that they are literally burned into our memory okay but i do have a positive one I have a positive one as well i was thinking about these two smells one is the smell of burning and the other one for me is the smell and it's funny cuz it's a little bit related to the concept of burning too so on saturday mornings and Sunday mornings in South Africa. And I've mentioned this before, down at the shopping centers, there are these little home stores that are kind of like a bakery meets a um, Etsy shop is how I would describe it. And if you're a cook, you can bring in the food that you've baked from home, you get approved, and then the storefront will sell it for you. And so it's it's a home industry store is what it's called. So it's not just one person, but many people come and sell their wares there. A little bit like a farmer's market, but it's much more baked goods and it's run like a store. Anyway, on, on the weekends, they set up a long row of frying pans over little burners oh. and they cook as fast as they can turn them over what we call pancakes, but what in America you call like uh, crepes. Crepes, or, that's the word. Yeah. I couldn't think of the English word. You you call crepes. <laughs> and of course, it's a French word. <laughs> the French word. Yes, of course. <laughs> we are missing this word entirely in, English, in America. <laughs> yes. But in South Africa, we call them pancakes. And so they cook pancakes and we also eat them in a very specific way. Pancakes in South Africa always have Uh, cinnamon sugar. So it's sugar with cinnamon mixed in, sprinkled over them, and then lemon juice. And they, so the the whole, the grandma will be, we call her Tani, the auntie, will be cooking and she will just flip, 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 flip down the row, sprinkle, 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 wrap, wrap, wrap. They roll them up into like a little sausage roll of the thing and they roll it up into wax paper and then they just stack them. Like they build like this tower of these rolled up crates filled with cinnamon sugar and lemon juice and they the smell of that you cannot walk past that store without smelling first the frying pans right it's kind of like the smell of of butter that's burned a little bit like that constant cooking constant batter that's sometimes dripping over the edge of the pan but then the sweet sweet smell of sugar and cinnamon and what's amazing about it is if you eat them at home 
the cinnamon sugar, you can still kind of feel the crunch of the sugar. You taste the cinnamon very clearly. But when they're cooked that way at the taste neighborhood, when they roll them up like that, because they're waiting for a long period of time and they're hot, it melts. Like the sugar uh. and the cinnamon melt into the crepe. And it is literally heaven in your mouth. Mm. And it that smell is so Pavlovian for me. Like it is impossible <laughs> to walk into a center like that on a weekend and not go buy like 15 of them. And what's funny is my husband, who's so American, he could he be more Midwest? He could not. He is so Midwest. When we lived in South Africa for two years, he was reeled in by that smell. And he would, we lived quite close to the grocery store. And on a Saturday morning, I'd wake up and he wouldn't be in bed and he would have walked down and he would come back with this huge tray. They kind of pack them in trays for you and then wrap them up with saran wrap. This just huge tray full of pancakes. And all the like kids who live in that house would all be like, oh, Uncle Pete's back. Uncle Pete's got pancakes. (laughs) Everybody would just inhale them. But that smell of sugar, cinnamon, and sort of burnt butter in a frying pan, just definitive. That is so interesting. And and so it sounds like you do sometimes make pancakes that way, but it's never quite the same. Is that? So, I mean, that is how we make them, like crepes. So I make yeah. them in America that way too. Yes. So they taste exactly But they're like- just not... They're just not quite the same because they haven't been sitting in that. Right, right. So like you would have to, to get the same effect, you would have to just constantly like do a whole pile of them. But the way we make them at our house is we make all the crepes first. And so we have kind of like this large pile of stacked up, but open crepes. They're not rolled up. And then everybody takes one individually, sugars it and rolls it. But now I'm thinking, I mean, I could just do it at home. I could sugar them and roll them and let them sit there for a while. But either way, <laughs> the smell of the cinnamon and the sugar is the same, but it, the taste is a little bit different. Oh, that sounds good. So we we do um my kids call them English pancakes. Okay. I don't I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know where that came. I mean, that is it is an English pancake. I I don't know. But anyway, my kids call Oh, you know why? We have a um a cookbook, a family cookbook that does come from England. And oh. so the pancake recipe in there is this kind of flat crepe-like pancake. Got and it. And it recommends dusting and sugar and lemon juice. And so we always do those uh for Shrove Tuesday, the day before um, oh, Ash Wednesday. Right. And so that's become this. an annual um, an annual thing for the kids. Are we going to have English pancakes? And I always try my best to do the the flip, you know, with the yes, pan. And of course. Of course I know. <laughs> sometimes it works. <laughs> sometimes not so much. Oh, but I do love those too. Although cinnamon sugar, I'll have to try that next time. I As you were talking, oh, and it's funny. These conversations are fun because we never quite know what will come <laughs> next. <laughs> So I was going to tell one story, but now I have to I have to switch it and tell a food memory um, because uh, as you were describing that, I was thinking, okay, what sort of what flavor smells, which is also what Debbie's story in Paper and String was about, like smell, but also taste, like the mm-hmm. whole package, right? And family and tables, right? And, right. So for me, I think that would be um, my mom in the kitchen making her chicken, and so my mom. Um, is part Greek. My grandfather was an immigrant from Greece. And so um, in my mom's family, the family flavors, the family recipes are Greek flavors and Greek recipes. And so my mom's chicken is uh, raw chicken that is is now going to marinate. And so as she's putting everything in the bowl for the, for the marinade, it is just squeezing lemon after lemon after lemon. 
It is smashing garlic after garlic after so much garlic. So it's that sharp <laughs> garlic smell that like almost burns your nose. Um, and then it's uh, just handfuls of fresh oregano. So it's those, I don't think I'm leaving anything out. Oh, oh, and olive oil. Oh my goodness, of course, so much olive oil. So all the olive oil, squeezing lemons, squeezing lemons, and then all that that sharp, sharp garlic. And then, uh, yeah, the chicken sits in that for a long while and then we would always grill ours because we lived in Texas and we liked to cook our meat outside yes. <laughs> on the grill. Yum. Um, but it's interesting to think about flavors and smells that mean a lot to me that are so connected with people and places are are weirdly often not things I I do replicate a lot on my own and I've I'm not sure why that is. So I rarely make my mother's chicken, um, even though I could, I mean, I can actually taste it now. Like it's so familiar to me. I feel like I can taste it right now too. Yeah, right. (laughs) Thinking about all of those flavors. so good. And, And I would want to pass those flavors on to my own children. And yet I think, and maybe this goes back to that word, um, that Portuguese word for that ache that is also a part of it, that longing, that looking back towards something that isn't really maybe there anymore or something we can't return to. And I think um, those childhood memories and those memories of our childhood homes always carry that. And so I do think that those flavors, that they're complicated, right? So I couldn't ever make that chicken without feeling lots of feelings. Yeah. And frankly, I don't want to feel lots of feelings every time I'm making, you know, a special (laughs) meal for my kids or something. Right. I want like feeling free chicken. I want I want dinner that doesn't come with like lots of emotional baggage. And I don't mean bad. I mean good. Right, right. Good memories, right? And yet heavy feelings of like people I can't, you know, I don't live next door to my mom, right? She lives far away. I haven't seen her in ages because of COVID. I mean, it's complicated. Growing up is complicated, right? Those flavors bring back childhood. Christy and birthday, you know, it was uh, often that was my birthday meal, that chicken. Um, and so I don't necessarily want to be flooded by memories every time I take a bite of grilled chicken. <laughs> <laughs> that is an interesting observation. You're right. I, I guess for me, the third scent when I think about a trifecta of South African smells is actually, so speaking about our parents, it's my father's cologne. And it's not even a specific cologne because over the years, he has worn different ones. It's the fact that he wears quite a lot of cologne and it's because I would always smell it at the beginning of the day, right? Right when he's about to start his day. And he's a medical doctor, so he is now competing with antiseptic and all the soaps and um, smells that come with being a doctor. So he would always put a lot of cologne on because he wanted it to be able to endure throughout the day and he's consulting patients. So when I would get a whiff of it would be in the early morning, right as he's hugging me really tightly goodbye to go to work. And that smell, like the smell of cologne on a man, that is just my father. It is the strangest thing how strong that smell is. And I have actually got vivid memories of being an athlete in high school at track meets. And my father would famously book off out of his consulting rooms, even if he had surgeries, he would let everybody know, like, Lisa Joe has a track meet. I'm leaving in the middle of the day. Just, and he would just come and watch my race. And he would stand 
it's funny when I think about these things, I'm like, wait, how did that happen? Because everybody else is in this huge stadium. Like the track meets were a big deal in South Africa, these you know, big stadium seating. And I don't just mean the stadium like at the side of a child's soccer match where they have like three rows of benches. I mean, like if you think about a soccer stadium, you know, not that big, obviously, but in scope, they were these massive grandstands that went up in a pavilion. That's where you're supposed to be. But my father was always standing like down at the track, <laughs> not just on the outside with the spectators. This is so weird. I'm actually realizing as I tell you the story, how was he there? Like He was standing <laughs> in the inside of the track, like where the officials are. So somehow, sounds very like my dad, he finagled his way in. He stood <laughs> at the finish line on the inside of the track. And I would run, and I remember coming across finish lines, gasping for air, like where you've just given everything you've got and kind of collapsing <laughs> to your knees, and then him running up and embracing me, but me saying, oh, I can't breathe, I can't <laughs> breathe, because even like a little bit of cologne when you're in that state, like gets into your lungs and you feel like you're choking, like you're drowning, and you just oh. want fresh oxygen. And so many memories of my father smothering me in his hug and me wanting to just shove him away, but at the same time realizing he's there to love and support me. So it was that strange tension, the tug of war between wanting to hug him back and wanting to say, get out of my face. I can't, I can't breathe, man. I can't breathe. <laughs> but because of that, his cologne is a pivotal memory. And it's interesting because when I started to date Peter, he had a very specific cologne he used to wear. And I mean, we talked about this in our story last week when my dad came to pick me up to drive me from Washington, D.C. to Boston and kind of gave the stink eye to Peter <laughs> as he drove his daughter away. But Peter gave me a bottle of his cologne to keep with me that year. Oh, yes. And I used to take a sniff of it every night before bed. I would be like, oh, it's Peter in a bottle. Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> and to this day, last night even, I sniffed his cologne before going to bed. Isn't that weird? Like that is a habit I still have. Like there's something about feeling connected to, I guess, the key man in my life through the scent. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so, so good. Lisa Joe, I remember my mom had these things. I don't know if this was just something they did in the 1980s. I don't know. Maybe they're still out there. People will have to tell <laughs> us. But um, my mom, she had these rings, these little metal rings, and they would slip onto a light bulb, like in what? your table lamp. So oh. imagine a table lamp with yeah. a regular um, bulb and this little metal ring that would sort of sit right on top of that round bulb. And um, the ring was, how, gosh, how to describe it? It was open-topped um, so that you could use like a little pipette or something, and you could put oil into that oh, ring. Oh, yes. So now the oil is sitting on it's the coming warm back to light me bulb. Now. It was like right. the early days of essential oils. <laughs> I think so. And diffusers. I think so. so she would <laughs> pipe in or pour in or drip drop in this oil. Um, I, I think probably... She would be doing this while my father was like frantically vacuuming. He was always vacuuming um, right before guests came over. We always had a lot of people over, people in the house or like um, small group meetings, church groups and things like that. Um, so my mom would be <laughs> filling the oil on the lamps and my dad vacuuming. And uh, I, yeah, I don't, 
I don't really remember the smell. It must have smelled, right? But it's more a memory of just watching my mom do that and sort of understanding this funny thing that the light bulb would heat up the oil (laughs) enough to sort of waft it into the room. (laughs) But now it just reminds me... um, how important it is to me. Okay, so maybe I don't have light bulb rings, but I am the queen of candles, essential oil diffusers. Right, right. Um, I love the reed, uh, the reed diffusers. I don't know if you've oh, seen those, yes, where it's yes, like yes. little wooden like the, reeds, like sort of in the jar. Almost, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love those. Um, I'm the queen of that, and I think I may have always had that in me, but I didn't. It was not fully unleashed. <laughs> really for financial reasons, until I came to Maplehurst. So, you know, if you're living on a budget, it can get expensive to buy lots of candles and essential oils and things like that. Um, So I never, you know, fully indulged. But living here, I have just decided that if I'm going to have guests here at Maplehurst in the land of mushroom farms, where (laughs) you just never know when that stink is going to blow in, (laughs) that the least I can do is have an ample and ready supply of great scented things. And over the years, I've realized that I too love a smell. Um, I mean, I love, so everyone knows I love flowers. I love floral scents, but I I too love a home scent that is more cologne-like. That's like, like a man's cologne. That's more like woodsy and um, I don't know, just complex and less sweet and floral, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, there's a candle um, and here, and here's the other thing. I, I feel like it, it took, it took me a long time of trying different things to realize that maybe some women will have a, a signature perfume. Mm. I would love to be that woman. I have tried different perfumes, but I, I can never remember to put them on and then they go bad. And anyway, so I just <laughs> will never be the woman with the signature perfume, but I thought I can be the woman with the signature candle candles. <laughs> At least in winter, I've decided that a scent I love, it's actually called wood fire. And so it smells something like, you know, a a blazing fire in the hearth. It's called wood fire and the brand is Illume, I-L-L-U-M-E. Okay. Now it's going to be like um, maybe some women with lipstick and they'll stop making it. And then I don't know what I'll do. I'll have to just (laughs) stock up or something. You'll come and visit and I'll have a cupboard. It'll just be full of... (laughs) wood fire scented <laughs> candles but they have the they have it in candles they have it in the little reed diffusers which i really like um i especially like those because i'll uh, flip those reeds like you know a few hours before people come over or if we're having um guests and i'll do that in the in the guest room or something um but i just really like the idea and it, it and it grew out of circumstances it grew out of the the hard thing, the limit here at Maplehurst, which is that it often smells so bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like the idea of having a part of my homemaking, a part of my placemaking being this, you know, care and attention to the way that it smells and um, not just going with any old candle, but actually being thoughtful to say, this is what I want Maplehurst to smell like. Um, yes, it often smells like something else, but... <laughs> But like the thing is now, of course, I'm deeply curious about what our listeners' smells of home are like. Now I have oh, yeah. to know. And part of what I'm excited about, about the Black Barn Online, which if you've been listening for a while, you know it's a community Christy and I helped found, where 
we can actually hear back from you. So we love that you leave comments and reviews on your podcast app of choice. That means so much. And you should know we really do read those a lot. But if you're looking for a place to come and hear what other listeners' smell associations are, and I think as we're discovering, they are surprising. We did not expect them <laughs> to go from cow patties to fire to cologne. Um, you really have to come and check it out. It's just blackbarnonline.com. And every Thursday, we have a chat. It's essentially a virtual table. We sit down and chat about the podcast. And I do think it's appropriate we're having this conversation today that is about smells from our childhood home, because there is a comment that a listener left, Joanna, left this beautiful comment, and it really was around our 100 podcast episodes, but she shared essentially how she's been growing up with the podcast, which means so much to us. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to read this comment from Joanna, and I know Christy has one too, and then we just want you to consider yourself invited blackbarnonline.com. The link will be in the show notes. But if you just want to come and talk to people about the conversation from today, these are your people. So Joanna says, I've had the unexpected joy of growing up with this podcast. A phrase which is equally true at any age, but it feels personally relevant as I first started listening as a new adult and a newly baptized creation. Your conversations began keeping me company during long, lonely night shifts, which saw their fair share of working out my salvation. These stories have since followed me through life and death, new jobs and first relationships, and navigating unexpected phases of life, hello 2020, that are always more full of grace and beauty than my eyes can comprehend. But I am slowly learning to see with eyes of faith in no small part thanks to your words. I didn't think I was a podcast person. Yours was my first and worried that I wasn't in the right phase of life to fit as a listener. But I'm so glad I hit play anyway. These 100 seeds have nurtured me and blessed me. Thank you, dear friends. First of all, I love that she considers us friends, even though we've mm -hmm. never met in person, because that is how we feel about our listeners. And second of all, everything else she said is my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> And she shared something else um, in the barn just this week. So we we have these prompts go out on, on Thursdays. So we're often in the barn talking about the podcast on Thursdays. So um, just this week on Thursday, she's she, talking about uh, following up on our home conversation. She said, spring feels like home to me, which I just had to stop and sit with that for a minute to think about a, a rooting yourself in a particular season and feeling at home in a particular season. I think that is so meaningful. And I just don't know that I'd ever put it put it that way before. Spring feels like home to me because of Easter. So I spend the this and this is Joanna writing. So I spend the rest of the year anticipating its return. That is so beautiful as well because one thing we've been talking about is this this homesickness, this longing that feels like you know we're maybe longing for something we we can't ever grasp or we can't return to. And Joanna, her words here reminding me that maybe it's more like spring. It's something that will that will come back to us. It's something we tasted, we saw in glimmers, and it will return. Which, if we're rooting ourselves in a longing for a heavenly home, is true. Ah, so yeah, Joanna, thank you for these words. I, spring feels like home to me because of Easter. So I spend the rest of the year anticipating its return. So I feel like that um, is a really lovely place to finish this conversation because. Um, it can be easy for me as a as a very nostalgic <laughs> feeling person to get a little lost in these feelings and to just sort of cry over the 
garlic and the lemon and the oregano. <laughs> and instead, what Joanna, what her comment has me thinking about is not just looking back, but looking ahead and looking not just back toward goodness, but looking ahead to how goodness returns to us and how home returns to us, that we've tasted home as children. We've tasted home in cinnamon rolls and Thanksgiving dinners, um, but not just in the past. There's going to be tastes of home that that come ahead. And it might be not might be, it will be different this year, um, whether or not we gather with families around tables or our gatherings look a little different because of the pandemic. Um, but we will still we will still be given these good tastes and smells um, of home that are always sort of leading us further in, deeper in, and, and closer to our ultimate home. So thank you, Joanna. And thank you for everyone who responds and reaches out and shares um, their reflections with us, because I feel like our conversations, you and I, Lisa Joe, are just enriched when other people join in as well. So thank you, everyone. They feel like a home themselves, these conversations do, and you guys feel like a part of the family. So thank you for making Wednesdays home for so many of us. If you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image. And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link. 